You're listening to the Driving Confidence Podcast for drivers who want to be calm and confident on the road. We will be sharing tips, stories, and advice to beat driving nerves and anxiety and build your driving confidence. Whether you are just starting out as a learner or have had your driving license for years, if you want to transform how you feel about driving, this podcast is for you. We've jumped in here before today's episode to say a big thank you to Matt Adams from Marmalade for giving up his evening to chat to us. We've decided to break this interview up into two parts as we had so much to talk about. So let's get straight on with it. In this episode, we're happy to be talking to Matt Adams from Marmalade Insurance. Hi, Matt. Uh, Hi, how are you doing? Good, thank you. So, Matt, before we get started on the reason we invited you on to chat to us, would you like to start off by telling us a little bit about you and a little bit about Marmalade? Yeah, absolutely. So, my name's Matt, as we've established. I work for the Marmalade Network, so I currently manage that. I've worked with Marmalade for five years. Um, They're an insurance company that's looking purely at young drivers, um, anywhere from the ages of 17 to 34. And we like to take care of our customers and we have a range of products to help them get on the road and get insured correctly. Excellent. Thank you. So, Matt, the reason we invited you on to chat to us this evening was because Marmalade's recently published some results of a survey that they did last year. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So basically what the idea behind the survey was, was to look into the issue in the UK about aggression towards young drivers and learner drivers specifically um, when they're driving without plates on, aggression towards drivers who are uh, quote unquote getting in the way of the normal road users when they're just trying to learn how to drive and we got back some very interesting results. I I must admit as a driving instructor I loved some of the feedback you got from that and it just resonates so much with what I try and tell my learners and yeah. what happens on the lesson because people don't really understand it they say well, well that might not happen to me and but yeah no I love the results so I'm really interested to talk about it and the, the findings that you had yeah absolutely I mean like, like I mentioned I worked for Marmalade for five years I started off in this job on the phones and then moved up to a team manager so I've spoken to a lot of young drivers myself and constantly having things like well I had to go over the speed limit because we work with black boxes so we know when they're going over the speed limit i had to go over the speed limit because this guy behind me was pushing right up behind me you know going back to them and saying things like well if there's somebody behind you and they're pushing up behind you don't speed up if they're five minutes late for their meeting or wherever they have to be you're the one following the rules they're the one who are not that's not your problem um can only take you so far though you know somebody saying that at the end of the phone can only take you so far yeah yeah Uh, That's really interesting. You've seen it from the black box insurance data. And so that's what led to the survey. I think the general and genuine interest in young drivers that Marmalade has, um, passionate about them, uh, is what led to the survey. I think the fact that you see it so often and it's so out of place in common society. For example, you can't walk into an office and say to somebody, oh, you're a bit close to me and start shaking your fist or doing rude hand gestures to people, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't in an office. So like I say, it's seeing it all around you and wanting to do something about it for, for your audience and the people who you're there supposed to look after, which is taking that one step further. 
Yeah, brilliant. And what is it about being in a car that changes people's attitudes in that way? You're quite right. People wouldn't do it in shops and people wouldn't do it in the workplace. Well, it's. I, I think it's not allowed in the workplace, is it? And I, It's just not allowed. But you get yourself behind a wheel and I think people, I'm, I'm going to generalise now, I think people in general, they take driving for granted. They, they don't brilliant. really think of driving as a, a profession or they don't really think of driving as an opportunity to hurt someone and hurt someone's emotions. 100% agree with that. And I, I, I have a theory. I don't think it's my theory. I think I've stolen it from somewhere along the line. But uh, it's the it will never happen to me scenario. And so they think that, oh, you know, people get run over by cars, but I'll never run someone over. People get in accidents, but I'll never be in an accident. So, well, sorry, but if you weren't, our insurance company wouldn't exist. And I also think that once people get into a car, they feel shielded. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, if you're quote unquote keyboard warriors, when they've got that shield of protection around them, they don't feel like they're as accountable for their actions when in fact they're more accountable for their actions the moment they step behind that wheel. I see it on the roads all the time. And I don't know whether COVID has a part in this, but I think people have got worse since COVID. And I think society's got worse since COVID. And I know that came up as one of the questions you asked in that report. I just think we, you know, when we had COVID and people were going to work, there wasn't much traffic on the roads. No. So it was very in like, well, this is really nice. I really like this. And there was no <laughs> sort of, we didn't really have to worry about speed limits. This is not me, obviously. This is other people. <laughs> yeah. Because you could do that trip that took you 30 minutes before, now taking me 20 minutes because there's no traffic on the road. Yeah. Now we've put traffic on the road or back on the road. What I think's happened is people have got impatient, like you say. Um, I think people are running late because they don't actually want to go back to the office anyway. Yeah, yeah <laughs> true. <laughs> They've got used to working at home. So I think it has changed people's behaviours through their thoughts and what they really actually want to do. And it, I think it comes out in their driving and people's driving is reflected in what's going through them personally, I feel. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, but. I think it's about 27% of people who did a survey agree with you. Um, it, they say that it has got worse since COVID. And, and I, I think your reasoning is absolutely sound there. They, they don't want to get up in the morning that hour earlier so they can you know, do all the bits and get ready and get to work. You know, they're happy to get out of bed five minutes before they start in their pajamas and go and sit in a little office or wherever the case may be. I mean, I personally didn't get a lot of chance to work from home over the um, COVID. I was in the office the whole time, so I, I can't sort of see it myself, but I can absolutely understand that point of view. Um, then if I could make sure my alarm went off an hour later, I absolutely would. But you've then got, when you get in that car, like my suggests, you've still got that responsibility to everybody on the road, and they are back on the road now. Um, it is weird to me that how you have people who were driving for 20 years have a year and a half, two years out of driving, and then that's their standard, their default um, way of driving when they were driving perfectly well with other people around before that. But like I say, the uh, I believe the percentage is 27%, oh, sorry, 24% were saying it's got worse. If I'm honest with you, I agree. I, I think it has got worse. Mm. Yeah, because you'll have seen it because you've been driving all the way through. Yeah, oh, because I was in the call centre, anecdotally, I was in the call centre when the COVID situation hit and so 
when we were taking everybody's computers out and one person was designated to be that person. And that was me. And so I was driving around to all the different call centers, dropping off their computers and in my little mask and my rubber gloves. And there, you're right, there was just nothing there. There was no traffic. There was a few lorries, a few vans. But hardly enough, my manager said to me at the time, don't worry, you'll be picking them all back up in three weeks. Boy, was he wrong. It's <laughs> 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 uh, not wrong often, but he was on that one. So, yeah, like I say, the just that sort of desolate, it was like... 28 days later or something, wasn't it? Just the whole, mm. everything just disappeared. And and the numbers we're talking in this survey, you're not talking one or two people that you surveyed either, are you? No, no. Uh, I, I had a little look. You had just over 1,300 people respond to this survey, didn't you? Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, 1,313, lovely enough. Yeah. Unlucky for some. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so apart from your early questions, which profiled people as to whether they were a learner driver, a qualified driver, and you also included parents who had supervised learner drivers. One of the first questions that you asked was about how often they experienced either abuse or intimidation on the road. And out of that 1,313 people, almost half of them said that they occasionally received some sort of form of abuse or intimidation. So that's a really high number. Yeah, I mean, especially if you sort of extrapolate that. I know you, you can't go down to the beach, get a glass, fill it with water and see there's no fish in the water, so therefore there's no fish in the sea. Yeah. But if you take that and spread it across the UK, and I mean, we're just looking at United Drivers here, we're talking millions of people get abused on the roads in the UK every day. There's there's no way that that can be all right, you know. Yeah, but, um, yeah and I mean, it's 45%. Yeah, that's way too shouldn't be above any percentages. There's no, there's absolutely no need for it. No. And one of the things we picked up, that it was only a quarter of people who responded who said never, that they'd never yeah. experienced it. And part of me, that I guess there's two ways of looking at that. Part of me was like, oh, I'm really pleased that a quarter of people have never experienced it. And then you think, oh, but that's really sad that yeah, that's yeah. only a quarter. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a quarter's way too low. Yeah. Um, these should be random incidents on the odd occasion when, I mean, there's never any real excuse for it, but, you know, there's, there's, sometimes somebody's going to wake up in a bad mood or they're going to have a bad day or something life-changing will happen to them um, and maybe they do snap and that, yeah. But it should be almost unheard of. Like I say, like the same way you would have it in an office. You wouldn't expect Darren down from on the corner there's nobody who works with Darren to just get up one day and you know give somebody a back out it, it just doesn't it doesn't work like that in this civilized world that we live in yeah no I mean in in our ideal world it would be in those low percentages where people said occasionally or more would sort of like make up a much lower percentage in our ideal world um, definitely yeah it was definitely too high as a driving instructor I thought this was quite interesting. My first thought was, I'm really pleased that they noticed they've been intimidated or abused. It means they're checking their mirrors or their, their observations is actually quite good. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, only a driving instructor could say that. You've got to take out a positive, haven't you? <laughs> That's exactly what Tracy said. She, went, she looked at me and she went, what? <laughs> and I said, you've got to look at a positive in there. They must have seen either the supervising driver or someone has actually seen this happening. So that's a good thing that they've seen it. What happens after is probably not so good, but we'll talk about that later. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it was quite interesting to look at where it was worse. So one of the questions was asking, where does this happen? On what occasions does this happen? And so the biggest culprits, I, I felt there was no surprises there at all. I think that most people could probably guess what the biggest culprits were. So the biggest culprits were roundabouts, traffic lights and town centre driving. So I, I think personally, if you think of where, as I teach people to drive, where do they struggle the most? And it's in those areas. Yeah. And and it's in those areas, not so much that they haven't got the skills, but it's the situation that they're in and their emotions are now taking over. They've noticed a van behind them. They've noticed the car behind them too close. And then all of a sudden they forget what they're doing and let the emotions take over and something happens that they don't normally do. And I think sometimes in this situation, we go back to the skill of driving as trainers, maybe parents do as well. Um, but I think we go on to the skills rather than, okay, so where have you moved away from us safely? Forget the traffic lights. Where have you moved away from before and it's been all okay? And normally it's when they first start driving and they moved away from the house and it's been no problems because there's no one around them. If they can tap into that picture that or vision that they've had before and replicate it again, what they're doing is they're just going, well, I'll just do this. Their mm. emotions change, their behaviours change, and they can actually be successful rather than thinking, oh, he wants me to go faster, get out of the way. What am I doing here? And I think that's where I think with learner drivers especially, we need to be more teaching the behaviour and the emotion side of it, and what we're thinking and feeling, that could really, really help those figures because it's we all do it. We all have those situations where we've got people close behind us. But yeah. as an experienced driver, what happens is we call on our previous experiences to make it easier. Yeah. And I think that came out for me in those studies where it was like, well, that's obvious because I deal with that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, the, the absolute nail on the head there. You, you've got to sort of help that young driver use that methodology to assist them now, even though they may not have as much experience as a, an experienced driver. And they need to go back to those points where they have pulled away. Like you say, even if it's just from home that morning, um, use the experience they have got where everything went all right. And that positive reinforcement is a self fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Where it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Replicating it in those more difficult situations. Yeah. The one thing that worries me a little bit about the situations where you look at the roundabouts, traffic lights, city driving, specifically roundabouts and traffic lights, from an insurance point of view, we know that's where a lot of accidents happen. Yeah. So if the driver can call on those passengers, can stay calm and can then move out of that situation carefully and correctly, they're going to avoid those accidents. Um, it's going to be when people either aren't paying attention behind them, driving too aggressively behind them, or at which point they're never going to be at fault for it. That's not going to happen in regards to insurance. Or they, like I say, they will be able to, or they're not paying attention or somebody panics or, you know, doesn't do what they, they should be doing at that time, doesn't go back to those experiences and use them to pull off safely to make sure they're checking the roundabout and that sort of thing. So from our point of view, looking after young drivers, I mean, that's a double win for us. One, you're keeping young drivers safe in these areas and controlled so they won't get the abuse in the first place. Not that we should be excusing that, but also you're looking at reducing claims and therefore the opportunity for a young driver to get hurt 
Um, so that's just my insurance hat on because if you do have young drivers who do get hurt in accident, the, the wheel to go back on the road is going to be lower. So if we can avoid it in the, in the first place, again, that's an absolute win. I think what you've mentioned there is definitely, I, I never thought about that before in my life, but I know I will now. Yeah. <laughs> if I ever get sort of somebody stressing up behind me, I'm like, right, I've done this a million times. Well, that's not going too far. I've done this several times. <laughs> You're not that old. <laughs> you, don't, you don't look that old. Oh, I'm older than you think. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'll just build on that knowledge and go, right, well, I can do this once more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I guess we're making some assumptions here. That the reason that there's more abuse and intimidation in those areas is because that's potentially where a learner driver or a newly qualified driver is maybe interfering with other people's driving more. It's maybe where they're slowing them down. It's maybe where they're having the most impact on us drivers. That's an assumption that we're making there. Yeah, I think so. But think of those areas from my experience. Those are the areas where people, where it's potentially more busier. They are going to get people behind them. It is potentially slightly faster moving traffic on a roundabout. And they probably haven't dealt with that before. And and some people like mums and dads or instructors might be turned around to me and say, look, this is really difficult, this junction, but what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to, and it's like, no, don't say that because all of a sudden you've just put them into this. And so it is about trying to think of what have you done before? How am I going to do this? Like what I need to do is this and prepare for it rather than being thrown in and just panic sets in. So it's, yeah, I think it is. And we're not, I don't think we're presuming I just, I think it's common sense that those situations have an adverse effect on their driving. So that leads us on to the types of abuse that people were reporting. There were three really high types of abuse that stood out here, which were yes. tailgating, overtaking, and then beeping the car horn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I, if I could start off on this one, Dan, because the tailgating is... From somebody who's worked in insurance for 20 years, tailgating is one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, I cannot stand it. You cannot phase through another car. You, you have to wait behind them. You can't go through them. So if you are up late, that's your own fault. Get up earlier. You know, or if you need to leave to go somewhere and you haven't done it in time, get up earlier. If you thought somebody was going to take five minutes to get to and it takes 10, that's on you. Don't put that on the person in front of you. And the most common accident in the UK is going into the back of someone. And it has been since I started in insurance in 2003. And it's just, it blows my mind how people think they've got the reactions of Spider-Man and they can just stop on a dime. No, you can't. You are a human being and physics is a thing. So please just give more space between you and the person in front of you. Whether they're a learner driver or not, just, you know, just give them more space because however close you think you can get, you can't. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who've had to go through a plane because of it. But that's my just my two pence, yeah. See, I, see I, I love that because I get it all the time now where people are using highway code figures and they're saying that this is old. The highway code for these stopping distances is so old-fashioned. So, But I've got a new car. And my brakes are really good and I've got a <laughs> I've got a light car now. My car's not as heavy, so I can stop quicker. No, I wish everybody could have seen Matt's face then because he <laughs> it, it was a picture. It really was. <laughs> um on, on to that I say, you know, as far as I'm aware, 
physics hasn't changed since the 60s. It still works the same way. You still have to just bring your car to a stop. And do you know what? If your car can stop in 31 meters instead of 33, that's excellent. Are you out there with the tape measure? No, you're not. So, like I say, I mean, maybe it's just my perspective from like working claims for as long as I did. But if any number of those hundreds of thousands of people just give them a little bit extra space, just left an extra half a second, which is something we say to the guys when they're looking at brake distances with the boxes. Give yourself when you you know that point when you start feeling comfortable when you're going to go right. I'm going to brake here because this is where I feel comfortable braking, and I know that. Just give yourself a half a second and think about how far your car travels in that half a second because now you've got that much more space Mm. Uh, and you can bring it to a much slower much gentler stop and therefore you're not putting as much force but yeah it's just these little things that people and i think it brings us back around to what you're saying to be in people take it for granted and it's not out there but yeah you're absolutely right i've had every i'm going to call it a reason as opposed to an excuse but every reason under the sun as to why they can break in different scenarios it's like okay Mm. we'll see you in a month when you have an accident (laughs) <laughs> it's that simple yeah me personally i don't get it because it's just like things happen so quicker now because we're driving slightly quicker potentially but there's also a lot more distractions about absolutely that space has gone again by the way now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> didn't agree more <laughs> i'm sorry this is just my face i don't know anything very well <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is what I'm saying to people. Yes, the card might do this, but we've still got to stop. And yet, you're quite right. You might stop two meters shorter than what you're thinking. And but there's so many more distractions in the car that you might not actually see what's happening in front of you because you're distracted. Yeah. And I think that's got a lot to do with tailgating as well. People just don't realise how close they're getting. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, the other side of things, sort of adding onto that is well, while you're being tailgated. What what are you doing? You're looking in your rearview mirror at the person who's tailgating you because you're worried about how close they're getting. Yeah. What you're not seeing is how close you're getting to the car in front of you. And again, it's just one of those things that it it just doesn't help the scenario, and you're not getting there any quicker. And um, so, like I say, tailgating. I don't understand the logic behind it. Are, are they trying to force them out of the way in a one lane road? Like, I mean, where do you want them to go? And they can't go up. Um, it's a very, very confusing situation to me. But again, it's something where, um, I mean, I've as somebody who's been driving for a good amount of time now, if I do see someone tailgating a learner car, I, I look to sort of indicate and get in between them so I can then slow down and just slow the other person down and get them out of the way. But I'm super conscious of this sort of thing working with marmalade, having, especially recently having this petition that I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to allow that. But, you know, all it takes is, some burly guy to get out of this car and I might reconsider my position. But um <laughs> But, <laughs> but you're yeah, safe so, in your car. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely safe in my car. Lock the doors and hide and call the authorities. <laughs> so Kev, what advice would you give to somebody who's experiencing tailgating? What should people do? Well, what I like to do, and I think we've mentioned this on a previous uh podcast, but drive in a bubble. And basically what I mean is you're driving in a bubble. So if you imagine you've got a bubble in front of you, which is a nice, safe distance that you feel comfortable with, you've got the same amount of bubble behind you. So this bubble is a nice safety bubble and it's all fantastic. So if you are being tailgated, someone's actually come into that bubble and is pushing that bubble towards you. But what happens is that bubble now goes in front of you. 
So if you've got, say, for instance, I'll just make this simple, but if you've got three car lengths behind you and three car lengths in front of you and you're quite happy at that, you know, everyone's... Yeah. So if someone comes up behind you and they go into that bubble, so you've only got two car lengths behind you, what's happened is the other car length is now in front of you. So you and the car in front have now got four car lengths. So you're right. still keeping that safety bubble. It's still the same distance. But what's happened is you've now increased the distance between you and the car in front. And what enables that to happen is like what Matt did, where he goes in between and he slows down and increases that gap. You've actually increased the gap between you and the car in front. So if something happens, you don't have to slam the brakes on. You can yeah. control what you're doing and also control the car behind you earlier. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm enjoying this. I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, obviously, the faster you go, the, the more car lengths, the bigger the bubble is. Yeah. But if you have that thought or that picture that you can create in your mind, it's like, well, he's pushed that bubble forward. I now need to create space in front of me. Yeah. And now I've got this safety gap that's pretty good. But it also, if the car, and I know this, you know, one of the other things there was people overtaking. But if that person behind you is going, do you know what? I can't stand this no more. You're just, he overtakes. What you've also done is allowed him space to get in. So you've now created him space to get in where you can then go back to what you was doing, create your own safety bubble again, and he's in front of you and probably doing it to the car in front of him again. More than likely. (laughs) (laughs) But what you've done is you're just, you can control those situations, but it takes a lot of thought, takes a lot of thinking about how you can do it, what you can do. And obviously some situations you, you can't really do that, but hopefully you can control the situation for yourself more than letting the others control what they want you to do. Yeah, I mean, and what you're really doing there is, is you're being the adult in the situation, aren't you? What you're saying is, right, if, if you're going to drive like that, shall we say, and you overtake me, and because I've seen people in the past when somebody then goes to overtake them, they'll then speed up. But what you're doing is you're taking that whole aggressive side of it out of it, and you're just going, that's fine. If you want to go there, I understand. I'm only going to be three quarters of a second later than I was going to be. I'm quite happy going back in my bubble. Yeah, yeah no, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And my reaction when I sort of saw that people had put overtaking down as a type of abuse and intimidation, I agree. There are definitely people, if you're, as somebody who's been driving for a long time, driving at the speed limit, you get people overtaking you. You just do. And yes, it can be seen as abuse or intimidating. But actually, generally, my reaction is, oh, good, they've gone. (laughs) I've got rid of them. Phew, now I can stay at the speed limit, happy as I am, and hopefully I'm not going to see them in an accident around the corner. But if I do, then I've got plenty of space in front of me and I'm doing the speed limit so I'll be able to do what I need to do. Yeah, I think that's uh, avoiding, like I mentioned before, that sort of competitive mentality and having a mentality of wanting to be safe on the roads, which is where we should all be. Yeah, I think a lot of people are frustrated about somebody getting up behind them because... I don't know, do they feel like it's a race? And so that's maybe why that when they go to overtake, they speed up. And it's a whole thing. But having that mentality of, right, you're out my way now, it's perfect, isn't it? Nobody's getting, you're not going to then go and tailgate him. It's not going to become a whole thing. It's just going to be, right, I can carry on with my day yeah. um, in peace. Yeah. 
Now, in peace was the key there because I would rather somebody overtake me than beat me. Beeping was the third highest, and I would rather be overtaken than than have somebody beeping me. Beeping really, it's rude, and it really sets off an emotional sort of reaction. So even as an experienced driver, if if I hear somebody beep, I'm like, is that me? Did I do something wrong? And yes, (laughs) it it distracts you. It sets off a sort of like, oh, am I in danger? Is somebody trying to warn me that there's a danger ahead of me? Yeah. Or... Are they just being rude or it's very emotional? It sets off, you know, that noise is designed as a warning, is designed to trigger your stress reactions, and it does. And yet, actually, a beep, if you think about it logically, it should be really easy just to brush off, but it just does something. Because it's a noise, isn't it? Yeah. I was taking one of the young ladies home for the day at work and dropping her to her house. And I went round and roundabouts and I go to a to go over into the left lane to come off and I get beat. And I, I jumped, swung back into my lane and got some abuse held at me by the uh, the lovely taxi driver, who she was a diamond of a guy. But um, nothing against taxi drivers, just this particular one. And like apologised, you know, said sorry. And then thought about it and realised that he'd actually been in the left lane as we'd started in the roundabout. And so he'd gone right in the left lane. So I wasn't even in the wrong. But because he beeped at me and given me like hand gestures out the window, I just assumed I was wrong. Yeah. I was like, hang on a minute. No, I wasn't wrong. Yeah. But having that reaction is, a, and that sort of goes, ties into that aggression. I think the it's more damaging than people realize because mm. I understand the horn to be like, hey, I'm here. You're announcing that you're here because you can't shout at them. They can't hear you. That's what the horn's for in my mind. I didn't think about the stress level thing, but I, yeah, that makes perfect sense to get you alert. I think sometimes people be just to sort of say, look at this idiot, but actually they're probably doing something on themselves. Well, certainly in some circumstances, that was certainly the circumstance when I had it, but I definitely immediately reacted defensively about it and was very much like, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't mean to get in your way. My apologies, sir. Um, but actually, I was managed driving on the way correctly. Um, and it's it's really interesting because that's someone that's an experienced driver mm. and it's affected that experienced driver in that way. So if we think of an inexperienced driver getting yeah. beat, their emotions must go all over the place. Well, I know they do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know they do. I was um, going to say, you'd be the person I'd ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, and then all of a sudden, they, it's like the panic zone, and it's just like, well, I'm stopping. I've shut yeah. down. And it's, well, no, because we've got to get out of this. But it's a very interesting situation. Someone beeps. First off, they think they've done something wrong, or it means I need to go when it's not safe. And again, from an insurance point of view, that you've pulled out. And yeah. it's, it's their fault now, rather than thinking, is it safe? I need to make sure I make my own decisions, which is what they don't do. They tend to think of someone's beeping. I need to go. I'm causing problems. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, just pause, think about what you're doing, and then carry on. If you're in the middle of a roundabout, someone's beeping, yeah, okay, you might have to deal with it slightly differently, but it's especially at a junction. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like, just wait for you to go, and then you can go. And if you need to, you're feeling bad, pull over somewhere. You know, yeah. let people go, and then go again when you're ready. Yeah, I, I think that's something. That, that, again, that's I would never have thought of. My understanding of being on the road is that you start at A, you get to B. There's nowhere in between. 
But just that idea there of saying, right, well, actually, I can take a moment to look after my emotions and I can take a moment to calm myself down by getting to a place where it's safe and just coming off the road for a bit would be incredibly useful. Like I say, for me, that's just quite mind-blowing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I've never thought of it. But I think it's just something that would be exceptional for somebody who maybe they do suffer with anxiety uh, around driving, taking that time to go, actually, I'm going to take my control back. Yeah. I'm going to move to the side of the road. I'm going to, I mean, I'm ready. I'm then going to take off again. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, definitely. I mean, finding a safe space and then giving yourself that time to to just reset because if you just keep going and going and going, it, things can spiral negatively quite quickly if you don't give yourself that chance to reset. We thought this was a great opportunity to break here. And next week, we'll pick back up where we talk about the different ways that people reported being affected by aggression towards learners. In the meantime, let us know your thoughts and experiences. Or why not try Kev's tip for driving in a bubble next time somebody's tailgating you? All of the details to get in touch with us are in our show notes, as always, along with some links for Marmalade and also the petition that they've put together, which we'll talk more about in next week's episode. Have a great day, whatever you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Driving Confidence podcast. If you would like to access any of our free tools, go to confidentdrivers.co.uk forward slash free tools and begin to transform how you feel about driving.